Hello and welcome to the Data Cafe. I'm Jason. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about entrepreneurship in data science. I think before, I, before we get on to entrepreneurship, and it's a really interesting topic, I'd just like to really start with a thank you to people I, I don't know, actually, to two people, uh, Katie Malone and Ben Jaffe. Probably people listening know of or have heard of because they are Katie and Ben from Linear Digressions, which is a sort of fellow podcast that has been running for over five and a half years and is really a fantastic resource it definitely is what you call a, a developed a corpus almost of podcasts it's been the most amazing thing to listen to and and very sadly i was tuning in while i was on holiday and discovered that they're they're hanging up their mics and they're going on to other and greater things which is uh, fantastic for them but it was just uh, i just thought it'd be lovely to say say a nice thank you to them from a wonderful uh, a wonderful experience yeah and i fully echo that um they've definitely inspired me a lot i first started listening to them when I was looking into moving from academia to data science and they would talk about topics that I thought were so cool and they really unfolded the topic in an accessible way that made me think yeah I can pick up a book or go to one of the papers they reference now and get interested in this topic and see where is this going to be of use in the data science career that I'm pursuing and then the amount of times in interviews that I would talk about it as well. It's really great. So I'm sad too that they're finishing up, but wow, what a run as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, re- they really did the hard, the hard graft. I mean, 293 episodes over that time. Um, so, you know, Jason, I think pressure's on. We've got to get to 294. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's amazing, amazing uh, contribution. So, yeah. And we'll talk today about entrepreneurship and do we mean about entrepreneurship now in this sense? I have a quite broad sort of definition to offer and you can take or leave it. But for me, entrepreneurship is the ability to or the act of trying to get someone else to buy into your idea. Um, and in doing so, probably on taking on board a fair bit of risk, maybe in, 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 in doing that. But I mean, obviously, uh, uh, fairly quickly, you get to the point where you're saying, well, how much do you want to buy into this idea? You know, do you want to uh, do you want to buy into it to the tune of receiving an email or do you want to buy into it to the tune of signing up to a, an account? Uh, yeah, uh, to the tune of actually paying some money for it, of course. Yeah. So it's a bit more general. But I think I think that that works quite well for our purposes. Yeah. And how it scales from there, you can see that we're starting with where I imagine an email newsletter and there might be an ad in there. So somebody is treating me as the product almost, but then there's a scalable um, product itself that can be sold. And maybe an entrepreneur has built that from the ground up and is then selling it to their market. Yeah. I mean, just at a human level, I have nothing but the most amazing respect for people that do this, by the way, because you've got to have quite a good sense of self shall yeah. we say uh, by which i mean you know you've got to you've got to believe that people are going to listen and you're going to care and and be interested um and and i think to to a lot of people even that is quite a, a stumbling block or or, or, or something where they go, oh no I, I probably better not say anything because someone might laugh or someone might not think it's a good idea yeah right, right. yeah 
our imposter syndrome kicks in. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, if you're not careful, I know I get it. And, and I know a lot of people do. And it's, it's too easy to sort of fall into that. So you get over that. You sort of, no, I'm going to, I'm going to see if people are interested. I'm going to see if people are willing to listen to me and willing to pick this up. And it sounds like it's something new, right? That's yes. where the confidence has to come from because you're putting out an idea that hasn't been put out before. And you could be nervous that maybe there's a variation on it out there already and you haven't been aware of it. And that might, you know, trump that then and and you're back to the drawing board. Or you have an idea that somebody, like you say, could laugh at or could not appreciate or to their detriment may not see the value in. But there is value there. And an entrepreneur is somebody who has had sight of that, I guess, and realizes it and then seeks out the opportunity to get that value out into into the world whatever it might be absolutely i i think it's particularly relevant to the space of data science because for me and i know i know for you that jason that data science is all about ideas initially anyway but before it's products it's ideas and unless you've got an idea which is going to convince somebody whether that's a a stakeholder whether it's a person in another bit of the same business or another business or another customer and unless you've got something um, that is, is genuinely going to interest them and excite them you're not you're not going to get anywhere close to you know a Jupyter notebook or, a, or or putting some code together or running a scikit-learn library uh, function or yeah. anything like that no nowhere near you know you've got to be able to convince someone that there's worth initially taking quite a lot of their time to talk to them about uh, this possible you know, potential data science idea and whether it whether it might um, have have legs in, in what they're doing. The side of it that's so creative is bringing that idea to the table. And we talk about stakeholders and the very first stakeholder might even be your teammate, your partner, the person that you need to, you know, saddle up with to say, are you on board with what I've come up with right now? Because I can't do this alone, maybe. Ah, yeah, uh, I think... If you can't convince your your good friends, your your nearest and dearest, or or, or your your co-founder, then you're certainly you're certainly going to be running a a long and arduous battle to to, to get uh, to get people you don't know and uh, who've never met you before and uh, uh, to to buy into it as well. It's a really interesting place for for data scientists because it's sort of the the genesis of data science products and data science as a as an entity. There was something I read, an article, um, I think it was from thedatascientist.com, and it split entrepreneurship in data science into three areas. It said there was um, deep tech, where it was what, what you might see from DeepMind in Google, and it's very strongly research-driven, and the data scientist is key in there, and you're not really a business person in that sense. You just need to focus on the deep research that you're doing and building that product and then the other stream is data science as what they called an additional feature so you may be an established enterprise and then you bring in data scientists or a data science team to kind of emphasize or enhance the value of what you're building and it gave the example of a dating app that then brings in a recommender uh, application and your dating app might be based on a series of rules, but then a recommender could bring in a data science model. And the third stream was consultancy, where you've got these um, 
skill sets that are then consulted out to a client who they don't have a data science team. They don't know if they should invest in one, maybe, but you can outsource to the consultants and they'll tell you, well, what's your problem and how can we help solve it? Those three streams I thought were really interesting in splitting up where you may have a really embedded skill set in data science that transitions across that spectrum to have to have the business skills. You know, if you're a consultant, you really need to be able to manage a lot of different people and different types of people and the personalities out there. Yeah. And in all those cases, you've the ideas that you have initially are the, the basis for producing that uh, magic product, producing that fantastic piece of consultancy work. It, it all starts with these ideas. It all starts with going to a, a customer and going, you know what, I think we could take some of this job that you're doing and we could make it a bit better or faster or simpler. It might be a recommender system. It might be a set of uh, streaming movies. Um, it might be a route planning app or something like that. But it's all about having that just that, that, that idea initially that then the customer goes, yeah, you know what, that sounds fantastic. I want some of that. I want to learn more. I want to um, buy into it in some way. And, and then down the line, it might be, I want to subscribe. I want to pay $10 a month, um, £7 a month, whatever, to, 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 uh, to get this service because it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and the nice thing is that actually it fits really well with data science because of that. But also there's a there's lots of paradigms which sort of encode this entrepreneurial spirit in, into data science. And I think one of them we're going to hear about a bit later, but we, we might want to give a bit of an intro to is called Lean Startup. Yeah. And because um, you were using the word start a lot there. And I was thinking about that because you have to start with an idea and start up. Is <laughs> that phrase that we're all used to is so many startups in the world especially in tech yeah and it's coming from we're starting with just an idea and now that's the hardest thing get that off the ground somehow exactly and uh, you know you're starting from zero you're convincing people you're getting maybe a, uh, some backing some investment um you get maybe a revenue stream and then you start you know in employing people maybe and that's the scary bit for me is when other people are depending on a week a weekly or a monthly salary that's that's a you've really arrived if you're paying someone someone's salary i think but yeah so so lean startups a lovely way is there are lots of ways of, of thinking about it it's a lovely way of thinking about uh, startup problems in general um so it's an idea that came out of uh, an entrepreneur called eric reese um who was a software engineer and by his own admission, he had he'd had lots of projects that had gone south, totally totally bombed, and he was he took to think, well, why, <laughs> why are these not working? They're all brilliant. I loved them so much, and they, I thought they would fly, um, and they didn't. And so so he 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 wrote a book called The Lean Startup, and and that's where it sort of it it all it all sprang from. Yeah, we've employed this in our data science team, and it's it's really interesting to treat your data science team as this in-house startup in the sense that you're building products that are not already in the company, but the challenge that's being faced by the company is brought to your team and you have to use your imagination to be creative, bring that layer of research in. You've got the hypothesis that there's a solution of some sort and you do a proof of concept and you present that back and if you get buy-in, great, you can 
continuous down the road of getting towards what what's called the minimum viable product mm. and this is where it has to be minimum in the sense of reducing waste you don't want to over engineer your solution in the early sense and it has to be viable to get from a to b whatever that solution is that's needed in the company and it always reminds me of the phrase it's better done than perfect yeah and that minimum viable product is essentially a framework that allows you to do that what else is interesting about it is the word lean and it's that reduction of waste is very much the emphasis in the lean startup framework where everything you do is streamlined and there's loads of detail in the book but streamlined through the process and data scientists are great candidates to put into this framework because we will so easily go off track down the research route trying to find oh but this is really cool oh but what if we did this oh i have so many experiments i want to run yes absolutely we are totally guilty of getting uh overexcited and a bit a bit lost in the technology Uh, i hold my own hand up but definitely there's a lovely example that was used to sort of introduce me to uh lean startup which was coming to coming to market with a new product and get, and wanting to sell the new the best parrot cage to a, a a market you believed that was absolutely ready to to consume huge numbers of parrot cages and uh so you went away and you refined your parrot cage you made it of galvanized steel you um you put a little mirror in and an auto watering system and a nice sort of teaching your parrot to talk system and stuff and then you you launched this on an unsuspecting world and 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 the market went uh <laughs> what <laughs> why do we need this and um and instead what what lean startup says is is exactly what you say it minimizes the waste and says don't focus on the product focus on the people, focus on the customers, focus on the people who are actually going to buy this thing and ask them what they want. Ask them, you know, is, is, this, is this something that, that, that lights your fire? Is this something, basically, are you going to buy into this idea at all? So it, it turns it on its head and says, don't make a parrot cage, just put up a web page or, or produce an advert for a parrot cage and allow them to contact you and tell them, yeah, I really want, I really want that cage. And then... You know, when you've proven that you've got a market that's interested, then you do the sort of thing, the, the minimum viable product, the iterating very carefully with your 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 proposed customers to uh, uh, to actually produce your, your your deluxe cage. And suddenly, when you do launch it, then you, you've got something that, uh, that that people are going to want to buy, are going to want to have. Yeah. And it, it it you know it's it's a it's a crazy analogy, but. It's it, it does it does fly completely with data science. You know, if you spend months producing this fantastic piece of machine learning, deep neural network sort of deep learning uh, technology, and then you 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 push it to your uh, customer, and and they go, yeah, but I I just wanted something to add some figures up and put it in a table. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to fit a line. <laughs> it's usually the way it goes. Linear regression was enough. Yes, yes. <laughs> or in my case, this reminds me when I was living in Hawaii, I had the um, epiphany at one point, the hidden cost of buying a surfboard is needing to buy a car <laughs> because I couldn't go surfing without being able to now get to the beach. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yes, of course. 
So, because if you, if you live for, far enough away, and then you've got the, the the damn thing's heavy anyway, right? So you're not allowed to bring them on the bus. Oh yeah, no, I see. Yeah, and it it didn't fit in the back of my bike. Well, no. <laughs> no so I got this beautiful surfboard. Now I've got to buy a car. <laughs> but we have an interview with um, Freddie, who you spoke to. Let's uh, hear what he told us about his um, work in as an entrepreneur. I'm joined in the Data Cafe today by Freddy Adukamaya, um, and he's CTO of GeoHood, which is a new company that he's just started. And we're here today to talk about entrepreneurship in data science, which is something that I'm really, um, really interested in. And uh, Freddie's an excellent person to, uh, to talk to. So, Freddie, welcome to the Data Cafe. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. Really appreciate it. That's grand. So, Freddie, would you like to give us a, a sort of quick um, intro into into GeoHood and what you've been up to? Yeah, excellent. So, uh, we're GeoHood, um, and um, our tagline is that we're transforming real estate from an art uh, to a science. Um, and the idea is that um, we use um, non-traditional data to help commercial real estate investors and um, predict location attractiveness. So, if I break it down even further, like um, so, currently, um, if you're a commercial real estate investor, that is you invest in warehouses, um, offices, or retail centers. Um, you typically use um, traditional property data to help you make your decisions about where to buy, where to sell, and who to be put in your building. This is stuff like um, you know, GDP forecasts or, or rental uptake or supply and demand um, stats. And the idea is that we can um, you know, use alternative data points to enrich this decision and make it even more data-driven. So when I say talk about alternative data points, I'm talking about geospatial data. Right. So what's the distance to green space, for for instance? How does the topology actually affect, you know, a, a, prop, a property price? Uh, um, uh, for for example, another example is satellite imagery. So for instance, um, if you if you're opening a new uh, warehouse and you want to get Amazon in, Amazon because they know they have leverage um, when it comes to negotiating the right the 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 rent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they usually have the power, it's, it's an imbalance, but, you know, and, and this is because you as a, as a landlord, you don't know how that, how important that location is to Amazon. Right. But if you use something like, you know, satellite imagery to understand the throughput of each of, um, Amazon's, um, facilities, then you have, you have an upper hand as a landlord to understand this, this location is actually perfect for you. So you have the upper hand in that, you know, negotiation. And then you also have a geosocial data. So this is basically social media data that's geotagged. So for instance, and this is mostly relevant for the retail asset class. So for mm. instance, if you're in an area in Oxford Circus, for instance, and there's a lot of talk about cats and dogs versus, um, let's say, Brixton, for instance, where there's more talks about you know, cigarettes or vaping, mm. um, then you know that you know, in this location, Oxford Circus, you should probably open a pet store. So we're trying to bring in all that data together and help commercial real estate investors make better data-driven decisions. With the key focus being on the, the data-driven aspect of that, using all of these, the synergy of all these data sources to, to give you a much richer picture of, of, of what's, what's likely to be uh, exciting and useful in that area. Exactly, exactly. And, and the thing is that traditionally, um, they've, they've done this anecdotally, like, you know, you have real estate investors who, who does, they just know an area, they understand an area, but they, they can't really quantify what their understanding is. So the idea is that we, we you know, we use um, these, you know, both unsupervised and supervised machine learning techniques to actually help quantify what these differences are. Wow. 
so how how easy or difficult then has it been for you with this this fabulous idea to get investors interested in your idea or in, in, in just in data science sort of uh, startups in particular would you say yeah so it's 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 been actually there's, there's lots of interest i'll say we've had um because um, we went through like um uh, an incubator type program where we pitched to investors and unfortunately we're too early on we're too early for the investors mm-hmm. but there's a lot of significant interest because a lot of people realize like real estate construction um you know uh, even um, you know education and even um you know, like um, health um is 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 the last bastion of of of, of tech is where tech you know needs to come in to help transform these are these are all the eight industries which haven't been transformed yet right. So, um, so the so the way investors see it is that they see this is a market opportunity mm. where someone needs to come in with the right technology to help transform this how this industry works. So they're excited about the idea, but given you know um, you know COVID um, and given how you know the, the economic landscape has changed, yeah. they are worried about you know um, they, they, the bar is a lot higher to to get investment right now. Right. So you know it's right. not it's not enough for 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 us to to create a pitch deck and, and go go raise money. We need to obviously develop, you know, um, phase one or, or, or the first version of our of, of our algorithm of our tool, and then hopefully get some customers on, and then we know we can raise money. But there's lots of significant interest going on right now. So they want to see they want to see a, a nascent platform, and they want to see actual customers in the bag before before they all sort of start to really take you seriously. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So we're, we're very early. I said we we haven't. Uh, I'm just in, in the in the process of literally putting together our, yeah. our data plan. Actually, we're putting it also, but slightly too early for, for some investors at the moment. Mm. Whereas I'm pretty, con- I'm, I'm very sure. In fact, um, I've had an investor tell me this um, via back channel that like, you know if this was a year earlier, this idea would have gotten investment. But you know the bar is just a lot higher now because a lot of the capital is reserved for the existing companies. So, so how did you go about sort of market testing? your idea because i mean it's, it sounds fantastically mm. prescient you know ready for as you say exploitation but but yeah. the, the the critical thing is being able to show you genuinely do have a market there is there are investors out there who could crying out for something like this so how did that yeah. work for you yeah, that's a good question so um my co-founder tom um he's worked in the commercial uh, property sector for the last five years so he has a deep network in this space. And actually, whilst he worked at um, Seagull PLC, the, the largest um, listed property fund in the UK, and he actually was working on a, a big data strategy for, um, for, for, for this company. So, you know, he, he, uh, he, he worked with um, Amazon particularly, and he saw how data-driven Amazon were in terms of how they were choosing their locations. And he thought, you know, it was a bit of a, a travesty that, you know, landlords who, who own these buildings as data driven when making their own decisions. So we, the, the first way we tested it was just having a bunch of customer interviews. We had over 90, 90 plus discussions with all the different stakeholders in, in, in commercial property. Well, yeah, yeah, it was lots of conversations over, over three or four weeks because we just really wanted really to understand, even though Tom worked in the sector, for myself as well, I wanted to understand how, how all the aspects of commercial property works. So, and that's where, you know, we realized that the, uh, they're generally not using a lot of data to make decisions. There's a lot of, you know, uh, it's an art, not a science. Like, a, lots of them said that it's an art, not a science. And when, you know, when, when people say that, you know that there's, there's, they're slightly trying to maybe protect your job. Even though some of it is an art, but I think that, you know, there's a lot of it could be, 
could be more scientific in in in, in how they and how, how they uh, approach it. So, and um and there was also we there there was also a one very forward thinking company that we spoke to, um and they said they got a twenty percent um, uplift in rental in, in rental income, um based on using more data driven uh, approaches to um, you know addressing who they want to put in their buildings. So, you know, yeah. So like, you know, you're doing simple stuff like understanding um, who the who the, the occupiers or, or the tenants, I should say, as occupiers is an industry term, sorry. Um, tenants is a better way to say it. Tenants, who are the tenants that come to all constantly view our buildings? And you're know, using that type of information to understand, okay, yeah. this is who we should market to. This is the type of we should market to. Usually led to gains for them. So that was a great proof of concept. It was a great way to actually validate that there's a need using more data in this industry and that and using more data will lead to a significant um you know increase in their in return on investment for these investors and you mentioned tom tom davis i think your co-founder and, and yeah. I, I i've been aware for quite a long time it's really important to 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 find someone who who can match your skill set so how, how important has it been for you and for others that you've seen sort of to find the right co-founder for this particular project and for others project yeah it's, it's it's extremely important because um one of the things that investors also bang on about when they want to invest in companies is a concept called founder market fit so the idea is that are you the right founder are you the right person to be working on this exact problem you know and you know uh, and um tom having come from a commercial property background um uh for a, a landlord in seagrove and me having worked um, for, you know, in data science and analytics for the last five years, and especially at my time at Royal Mail, who were a tenant of Seagrove, Tom's former employer, that, that the match, like, literally couldn't be, I don't think it could be better personally. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, the, the, the match in terms of skill sets, in terms of industry knowledge, in terms of network, is, um, is, is very important to any idea. And in this idea, we found it, it was, it was very, very, very um it was almost almost perfect as, as they say yeah yeah so really looking for that match such an important thing that the investors are looking for is it's, it's, it's crucial from for you to be able to show you've got that match so that the investors can sort of have that confidence in you as a pair yeah so and and even, even though it's important for investors it's also important for you as as, as a founder you know because um of course it, it can be the difference between you know spending a year um you know on the wrong uh, going the wrong, the wrong direction versus, you know, just six months and then pivoting. You know, if, if I came to, to this industry to, to, to tackle this by myself, I say, or me with another data scientist, there's so much that we don't know about commercial property, especially how the industry as a general works, that will take me, like the time I'm, I'm spending just getting up to speed on just industry lingo, for instance, is time that, you know, another competitor is, 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 is accelerating, is, you know, releasing their product. So even just for, for your iteration speed of how fast you go to market, how fast you iterate in your product, it's actually extremely important. That's great. So it's, what, what would you say has been really hard or surprisingly hard or conversely surprisingly easy for, for, for you in this, in this journey? So data costs, uh, especially in, in this particular market, is extremely high. And, and it's mainly because there's a, there's a lack of transparency in the commercial property world. So you have brokers who are, you know, agents who are the middlemen who hold all this data about properties with, uh, it's not, you know, they don't easily share with a lot of people because to their mind, that's their secret source. That's what makes, you know, you as a, as a landlord, as an investor, go to this agent because they have this data that no one else has. 
Yeah, but um, but yeah, but uh, but what also you know also then also what also surprised me is that a lot of the times these landlords they have this data but they don't know how to use it. They don't know that they've stored it. They don't. They, like, it's just it's 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 a bit of, a bit of a mess because um you know in commercial property lots of the processes are not digitized so there's a lot of people information in their heads you know it's not on a crm it's not on a database it's not you know it's not it's not collected so that's why there's now a reliance on on the brokers and then that's where you have you know these data Mm -hmm. providers come in and because like i said there's a lack of transparency and lack of flow around data that you know they're, they're able to charge such a high cost for access to this type of data it sounds like you've hit a market where there isn't there isn't sort of data liquidity almost there isn't a, yeah. a knowledge of who might be interested in the data there aren't multiple competing sources of the data to enable you to, to enable there to be a bit of healthy competition um mm-hmm. and and then there isn't really a knowledge of the value of the data not really um and therefore yeah. people sort of ask you know crazy amounts by the sounds of it exactly that's that's exactly right. you didn't nail on the head exactly the liquidity in, in, in this particular market is, isn't great so that's been some of the um the challenges that, that we've had to face because obviously um, um unfortunately i don't have twenty thousand pounds to spend on you know <laughs> on a data set so we we we've had to be more creative in how we acquired it or, or in how we try to think about you know running analysis on, on yeah. um for, for for these for these um investors yeah so as part of that creativity then so is there is there a favoured data science technology that you've you've gone to 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 um, to to start enabling pushing this creativity or is there something that you've you you found very um, particularly helpful uh, in in starting that journey? Well, um, the the first thing we we've tried to do is is focus mainly mainly on the free data because when it comes to um, commercial property or stuff around locations, uh, um, whether it's demographics, stuff like that, there's still some um, free data sources that, that you could use. So, you know, um, ONS, for instance, Office of National Statistics uh, is, a great, is a great site for any type of data around um, the UK when it comes to the property or whether it comes to demographics or transport even. Um, so that's been a, a great source for us. Um, and luckily, uh, we've also um, managed to get um, a couple of um, clients uh, who've agreed to, to run pilots with us. And in, in, um, uh, in, you know, in, with that agreement, they've agreed to uh, let us access their internal data to help them run uh, uh, this uh, analysis for them. So instead of, you know, instead of having, instead of unfortunately building like a, 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 a full stack end-to-end um, you know, algorithm to help predict uh, location attractiveness, what we're doing is that we're trying to say, okay, let's just focus on this particular asset in this particular area and understand the, the, how, how the location is performing against, um, you know, previously uh, or better performing locations. So, friends, I'm going to give a more complete example. So, in commercial real estate, Park Royal, is, is, is in the last five, 10 years, has been a very great investment for, for any commercial real estate investor. So it's been a great location to invest in and to get property in. So, what we're trying to do is that, what are, what are some of the all the free data points surrounding Park Royal? Stuff like the, the demographics, you know, disposable income, congestion, distance to arterial routes, and so on and so forth. Um, study those statistics around that area and look for other areas who are showing a similar trend in those in those particular statistics. 
that's the, the first step of, of, of what we want to do to be able to say, okay, this location is trending in the right direction. Mm. So, um, so that's how we, we, we've, we've scaled the, the problem back. Uh, we've chipped it, chipped up a lot, a lot of, uh, scaled it back a lot. And that's how we want to start initially anyway, to keep it very, very simple. Um, and then hopefully as, as, as we show value to the, to these investors who don't, don't take this approach at the moment, but as we show value to them, um, the idea is that we can um, get them to obviously come on board as full um, paying clients and then use that to hopefully raise money so then we can actually acquire the data sets that we need. Because these, these, these clients as well obviously have data, like I said, but they don't, it's not stored properly and right. they don't know they, they have it. So there's obviously a bit of a process of actually now going to the clients to extract some of this data as well as obviously buying it from outside sources. So, but the approach is to use free data, run a, a simple trend analysis to help just show the proof of concept. And then from there, go on to more sophisticated and complicated methods. I like that. So, so one of the nice sort of synergies that you've got is the way you had a, uh, a customer who you've been talking to. Maybe you can mix the free data, the insight you get from what is available with mm. the, the private data that your customer has, but nonetheless, you're working exactly. with them to extract and pull out that value and, and get something exactly. you know, supercharged from that. Exactly. So, you know, it's a bit of like, we're like, you know, we're like, we're like, we're like data consultants, as well as data scientists, as well as, you know, tech is like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lot, but you know, in order for us to achieve our goal is, is just, you know, something that we have to do. Nice. And so finally, Freddie, how much fun has it been then starting your own business? What's been, what's been really good about it? I think it's the application of the learnings I've had whilst at Royal Mail, like, um, how we run our data science team, it implements a set of startup mindsets in you in terms of how you actually run a data science project. And um, having to do that, obviously, outside the context of the Royal Mail, um, doing from scratch, from zero, is actually exciting. You know, there's, there's a, we have a blank whiteboard. There's, there's, there's almost no data. But you have, you have this proven strategy of, of approach of this, you know, this lean data science, uh, lean, lean startup approach to data science. Now applying it to this blank canvas and trying to see how you can get a product from zero to one. So that's, that's been the, the most exciting part is actually setting, get, taking a strategy and trying to apply it in, in an entrepreneurial context. So that's Excellent. been what's great for me. Yeah. Freddie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great. No problem. Thanks very much, Jeremy. Have a great day. So that was a fantastic interview with Freddie and his company, GeoHood. And, and I thought it was really nice to hear how he's using lean startup as a a guiding principle almost for how to take a company not just a data idea but a company to uh, fruition from 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 nothing i think i think that that, that's an amazing um uh, amazing activity he's doing yeah and it shows the challenge where in my experience we've got a team of data scientists and there's a, a known problem in the business, you know, whatever work has gone into establishing what that problem is and how data science can um, help overcome it. You know, there's a behind the scenes that happens there. But once it's in the team of data scientists and we follow the lean startup framework, we have all of that hard work of building towards a concept that can be demoed. The team work together on, you know, pulling their bits of code together. We work in an agile framework we 
go through some sprint cycles and we get the feedback of the stakeholders at the end of every sprint with our demos and we're working towards this in the first sense a proof of concept to then get the buy-in there's a drawdown there's a portfolio there's investment uh, capital expenditure and so on and then that gets the funding together for whoever's needed in the team maybe we need some data engineers maybe we need a viz expert and that framework gets then towards building a minimum viable product as we mm-hmm. talked about and the mvp is what's going to then prove real value in the business And all of that framework is really nice because the Lean Startup in this sense is embedded in the enterprise. But where Freddie is talking about employing it, he doesn't have that enterprise around him. So he's really pulling together, to me, all three streams of what we mentioned earlier in the data science entrepreneurship. You know, he's got this whole um, research element going on to even come up with the product He's got the additional feature going on where this is something that then needs to show an ability to in, improve in the in the immediate sense what's already been done, um, but hopefully change the market in some way for um, the people that they're selling it to. And the consultancy element comes in where they're talking to these people and managing their expectations, oh, almost blind. You know, they haven't met these people before Um and how they work with them and how they work together. The, the difficult skills of people management comes in and, and alludes to that founder fit that he talked about. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it speaks volumes to the fact that data science is actually, surprisingly maybe to some people, more about the people and the discussions than it is about the science sometimes. And, and that, that founder fit that he did mention was, was a real eye-opener for me, I mean, he, he talks about how much pedigree you had to have to be able to convince those investors that you ha- were the right person and the right team to come to that product and pr- produce that company idea at that time. You know, you had to show total commitment, total expertise, fantastic market knowledge, a network of people you could go to uh, to to help you build and learn about your your company idea and 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 just this amazing you know industry knowledge and that if you had all of these things that come together maybe just maybe you could convince some people that that this would be worth uh, investing in um, and that you were the right the, the the right founder the founder fit and that's before you you have the market fit which is sort of what the lean aspect sort of ties up to right yeah and now you see this on dragon's den the whole time where they almost separate the criticisms into we really like you we really like your work ethic and all of the effort that you've put into this but we're just not convinced by your idea and vice versa they'll say this is a great idea you don't have credibility and <laughs> dragon then says i so that for that reason i'm out and it's amazing <laughs> that that's my, my only real exposure to this and we read about it and see it and freddie is now doing it and it's really both brave and and exciting you're fascinating for me how he was talking about doing it at this time this particular moment you know you sort of got the feeling that if he could succeed doing it now then he'll be amazing once the pandemic done and the the investments flowing a bit more because uh you know the the 
the challenge is that, that a lot of the money is 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 sort of staying safe it's it's going with the existing investments the existing companies but you know if if you can sell that idea if you can produce that 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 idea winning tool um and and demonstration or maybe even produce a, a revenue stream early days then you know the investment is just going to open up and the flood doors will open and and, and you'll get to you'll uh, really start something exciting yeah and that points to the unique value proposition that um he talked about with you it's totally true in data science and it was really exciting to him talk about that i think you have to be so focused on uh, value and show show that you are to the, your stakeholders or investors in his case but also internally you've got to keep keep discipline of thinking am i achieving better by doing this is my next iteration of this product going to be more valuable is is it going to be closer to my i mean what 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 eric reese would have called the definition of done i guess is it is it going to be an improvement have i iterated and improved my product um, and I think that, you know, that, that that's why the, the starting a company, entrepreneurial spirit like that, in, on a less grand way, but, but achieving a successful data science project is so, so closely related. So it was fantastic to hear him pull that out, because I think it's, uh, it's a complete vindication, if you like, that that's, that's what you have to do um, in, in that context, just as you'd have to do it in data science. We should totally do a, a whole other episode on that idea of iterative work and that progress towards the MVP and then the enhancements that come through from that in, and folding in software development into our versioning and how we build things iteratively and towards a definition of done and that definition might evolve. There's a whole field actually, yeah, it's a really amazing topic in its own right. Mm. And, and one of the other things that was mentioned I wanted to ask you about is this idea of the data liquidity that you talked about. Yeah, so it's it's a, something I've noticed when, especially talking to big companies about their data and what they might use it for, is a, a, an overinflation, if you like, of their perspective in how much that data is worth. I think often some executive in the in the company has heard heard the phrase "oh, data's the new oil" or something like that, which which leads them to think that all they have to do is have the data or own the data or have access to the data for it to ipso facto be worth something. And and it, it I think it's not it's not true. I think you have to be able to present the data. You have to be able to demonstrate, funnily enough, a marketplace for the data. And it's 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 troubling a bit that when Freddie was talking about it, he was saying, well, you know, we haven't got anywhere else to go for that very specific data. There are no competitors. So it, it really is a liquidity issue. It's, you know, liquidity in a financial setting in a marketplace is just where you don't have enough buyers and enough sellers to be able to essentially agree a price. Um, you've got the most fantastic um, you know, box of tricks in the world and you want to charge a million pounds for it, but nobody wants to buy it. There's literally no buyer. So, so really, is, is a million pounds a, a price that, that is a true reflection of its value in the market? Well, you don't know. You don't know until you find a buyer who's prepared to pay a million pounds. 
you know, you maybe you have to cut the price to half a million or, or, or much less. And then suddenly someone goes, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll have that. Well, then you've agreed a price and that's your starting point. But if you've only got one or two buyers or one or two sellers, then it's very difficult. That price can fluctuate dramatically. And I think it's true in data. So I think I think a lot of these big companies have data sets. They've got a lot of enterprise data in their, their servers. They don't necessarily present an easy way for um, for the data to be got off those systems to be made accessible through an API or, or, or any way. And they assume it's worth a lot of money. And it, it certainly is to them, because maybe they're using it on a day-to-day basis for their operations. So there's worth there, of course. So they'll put an arbitrary price on it. But until someone is prepared to enter into an agreement for that, then they might as well make it up. And and by doing so, and and presumably also not then agreeing to compromise on the price they want to charge, they're restricting access to actually the product and the idea which might expose its true value. And I think that's a shame. But 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 and, and something that something that we're going to have to get over in, in in data science as a community. You know, I think I think we've got to ease up the the access to data to enable the value to be um, extracted and, and observed, and then you know, maybe allow the value to be trickled back to the originating company once once the, the marketplace has been opened up. Yeah, and we've heard Freddie talk about working as a data scientist, so he can apply that scientific mindset to the data. But just because you hold the data, if you aren't mining it and applying a scientific rigor to it, it could be worthless. You know, it could just be sitting there um, it, it it itself isn't generating any value unless it's being utilized in right. the right way. And that's the point. That's exactly it. You have to do something with it. You have to make it work, essentially. You can't just have it sit in a in an enterprise table and, and uh, expect it to be of value in, in and of itself. It, it, it's not at all. It, it's, got to, it, it's got to have some purpose and some impact in what you use it for. You know, yeah, data is data is necessary, but it's not inherently valuable. I think that's what we're saying. And so, what's the cutting edge at this time with regards entrepreneurship in data science? Freddie is probably not the first person who's moved from working in data science in into the world of entrepreneurship. But what's the kind of key happenings, especially right now with the lockdown? As you say, it's it might be an even more difficult move. Well, I, th- I think there's a very practical. Uh, challenge of being able to get investors to buy into into your idea you know Freddie was saying you know a couple of years ago or a year ago this would have been easier we'd have just made a pitch we'd have uh, demonstrated that we were a good founder market fit and and we'd have been paid to go to the first stage we'd have got investment for doing that but now you've actually got to uh, you, you've got to have a, a minimum viable product a beta of your product maybe you've got to have a revenue stream that's already in existence. Maybe you even have to have a, a good population of customers already set up and, and willing to use use you and vouch for you and and write you good reviews. That that will probably change. I'm sure. I'm sure it will as as, as the market um, evolves. But it, it's obviously quite tough um, for an entrepreneur to to really get into uh, that at the moment. And uh, on a broader scale, the the cutting edge is not so much necessarily the where the, a lot of the hype and the excitement is around AI tool sets. It's more in the what Freddie identified as these, these large uh, inherent data sets in, uh, in traditional companies that haven't 
really modernized yet. They haven't gone through a tech revolution, let alone a data revolution. And so there is no, you know, even if you could identify a data science product as being a fantastic uh, win for a company and a potential uh, a potential impact generator and revenue generator there isn't the pipeline even to, to bring that forward and make it happen so if your amazing data science product has to go through two years worth of infrastructure development before you can even start to to do some um, hypothesis testing and, 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 and engaging lean then uh, to prove its value I think that's a lost cause. I think there has to be a better way of exposing the value to the company, to the CTO, to the CEO, and say, look, if, if you're prepared to go down this route with us, then we can find a quick way to give you value within a month, within two months, in order to use the data which you do have, even though you're not a particularly tech-oriented company. Uh, it's quite a challenge. It, it really is. There are more companies in that uh, bucket than, than are necessarily in the sort of Facebooks and uh, uh, Twitters and open AIs of this world. It reminds me of Google's takeoff with Gmail. When they first released it, it was a beta and not everybody could get a Gmail account. It was a private beta, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And that actually turned into a massive part of the marketing without them meaning for that to happen. And their beta release ended up being their world release for a number of years while they then built it to a stage where they could call it their alpha product and imagine if that's how google have um, gotten out there with their products then yeah it shows everybody should just be getting your beta release out and get that feedback and it could be its own marketing stunt without realizing it oh i I think i think it is already i think i saw um we have a have an episode on this at some point but we we saw OpenAI recently release their um, GPT tool, which is an LL, amazing NLP platform, and and they did it by going, yeah, it's exclusive, it's a private beta. You know, you can ask to be involved, and we'll invite you maybe. Um, and 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 okay, they'd had a fair bit of hype as well attached to it, but uh, that clearly gave it that element of exclusivity that meant everyone was hanging on their every word. A very clever way of doing it, I think. I think uh, that would be that's a a nice piece of almost viral marketing that you can you can wrap your <laughs> your super product around. Yeah, but not not us and not here at the Data Cafe. Our doors are open to everyone. So thanks very much, Jeremy. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for joining us today at the Data Cafe. You can share, subscribe or review online and please join us again next time.